Well, it's good to see you all this morning. Got a lot of people traveling. Tis the season. And uh, uh, Kelly and Julie are over at Caldwell Christian Church this morning. He's telling them all about YFC and and the efforts that are going on uh, in that ministry. So that's where they are this morning. Uh, Yesterday, Kelly and I gave away 21 bikes over at the Caldwell Family Fun Day, and we want to thank uh, Ernie and Candy for helping us out. We uh, loaded up uh, as much as we could, and we still were going to have to make a second trip, but Candy was here for the craft day, and and, uh, she and Ernie helped us get the rest of the bikes over there. So they were part of that effort too. Uh, So we gave away 21 bikes, and then we took um, requests for another 43. So, and the the great thing is we have more than enough bikes to fill them. But um, a lot of the requests came with with the um, the same comment. Times are hard in our family. My kids would love a bike. We can't afford it, you know. So... Uh, it's been one of those projects with Canyon County Juvenile Probation that's, that's been a, a good thing at the right time. And it's, it's helped a lot of families. Uh, sometime this summer, we're probably gonna, going to surpass uh, eight or 900 bikes that we've given away so far in the last five years. So it's, it's amazing. And when you think that um, we take a discarded or unused bike it goes through the hands of a kid that's gotten involved in the, the criminal justice system. The judge doesn't want to incarcerate them, so uh, they're involved in this project of restoring and rehabbing bicycles that they can then uh, pass along to families that are in need. I mean, it's, it's a win-win-win uh, kind of redemption story. And we're all fond of redemption stories, aren't we? We, we are redemption stories. We're going to keep talking about... Uh, being a disciple, and uh, we're going to swerve in a little bit different direction this morning. And I was pondering this during Sunday school class when I wasn't listening to Dr. Bruce, and I, I thought, you know, this is the kind of sermon that I, I just used to hate. As soon as uh, the speaker would begin, I would think, where's the door? This isn't for me. And you usually think those things when it is precisely for you and precisely something that you need to deal with. So um, I stand here this morning uh, ready to go. I mean, this has is, this is, uh, been such a formative thing in my own life, and, and it, it's a formative thing in the lives of disciples. So we'll dive right in. Uh, Aristotle held that there were three basic human activities. There was Theora. Poesis and praxis, and in plain speaking English, it's thinking, making, and doing. And he proposed that each one of these three things, thinking, producing, making, and doing, each one of these things would lead to its own form of truth. The end goal of theora, or thinking, uh, is, is truth. The end goal of poesis in making is, is production, doing something with your hands or with your time. And for practice, the end goal is in the doing, how you live, what you do. And as we've been uh, examining for the last month or so, people who call themselves Christian live their life in one of three ways, as be- believers, as disciples, 
and there's a few that fit into a category that we refer to as apostle. And the thesis that we've been working from over the last month is while every disciple is a believer, not every believer is a disciple. A disciple is a learner, but not just a learner. A disciple is one who has made a commitment to take what they have learned, what the Spirit has taught, what they have found in Scripture, and apply it to the praxis, the doing portion of their life. They've made a commitment to live under the authority and under the instruction of the Holy Spirit. When the Spirit instructs, they listen. If the Spirit directs them toward change, they change. If the Spirit calls them towards sacrifice or generosity, they willingly comply. If patience is required, they wait. And these are all things that we would love to think that we are able to do perfectly, but we're not perfect, are we? The heart of a disciple, though, is to honor God in what they do, what they say, in their praxis, in their doing. I got a text from Marianne Schlier uh, earlier this week, and I uh, asked if I could quote from it. And the comment at the end of the text was, serving God is not easy, is it? Sometimes it isn't. But it's always for our good. We've been talking about the, these characteristics of, of disciples, people who are truly and fully invested in playing their role in the kingdom. And we all have a role in the kingdom of heaven. But how do we get to the praxis, praxis or the, the doing portion of discipleship? And how do we get to a point of living not as a believer, but as a disciple? And this is a fundamental part of our Methodist faith. This Methodist faith that we have been founded on and, and along with the majority of other Christian denominations, a tenet of our faith is that we believe that God wants to do, a, do another work of grace in the hearts of people who believe. That belief is not the end game. Belief is the setup. Belief is the setup toward discipleship. In every believer. Not just those that are singled out, but in every believer. And we talked early on that it's God's prevenient grace, the grace that we don't recognize, the grace that, that comes and is active before we ever come to believe. It's his prevenient grace that draws us to a point where we do believe and we can believe and, and we embrace Jesus as the authority and the creator and we, we, we read the Bible and we, we affirm its honesty and its authenticity and the truth of it. We affirm it all. We believe that he is the savior of everyone who calls on him. And we believe that, here it is, Pentecost Sunday, we believe that God gives his Holy Spirit this essence of himself, this, this part of himself to everybody that does believe. And Jesus said that that would be good for us. In the book of John, John recorded, he, 
Jesus saying, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I've said. He's there. He's active. He's alive. He's steering us this way and that. And the Spirit will continually, moment by moment, day by day, heartbeat by heartbeat, breath by breath, the Spirit will continually point you in the direction of a confrontation. He will, he will draw you and point you in the direction of a deeper deeper and costlier walk with God. Not just an ascent to, I believe it, but something that takes you radically further than belief. Sometimes in our tradition, we call it a second work of grace. We also call it sanctification. Another move, radical move of God in the heart of a believer. And the Spirit leads us there. He does. He draws us to this point where we are going to make an independent free will complete and permanent decision one way or another. And it's the most important decision that you or I can ever make because when we make it, it will either reinforce our greatest addiction or break our greatest addiction. When we first um, come to Christ, it's almost universal in the way that, that people express how they feel. We share the same experiences, share the same feelings. Uh, we feel freedom. We feel like something that I've been carrying unknowingly has been lifted and I am unburdened. We feel like we've been given a new life which we have. And we find that sometimes you'll overhear comments or people will tell you directly, and this has happened in the life of Tessa already. Tessa's mom, who we just introduced to you last week, came to Kelly and Julie and said, there is something different about my daughter. She's happy. She's content. She's less angry. People notice these things. When we come to faith. We find that people are, are noticing these changes within us. With, sometimes without us even talking about it. We find that the Holy Spirit is working on us. And all of a sudden we are giving up things. We are giving up bad habits. Because we just don't desire them anymore. And the Holy Spirit will draw us toward things that that have more value. And all of a sudden we have a hunger for that. He will enrich us and enrich our lives. And all of these things are good and they are for our benefit and for our encouragement, yet there lingers this addiction in our heart. And it's an addiction that's different than any other addiction. We're addicted to control. And the insidious, devilish thing about control is the only way to control control is with more and greater control. 
Now, it's been a long, long time ago, but um, we had a couple of two-year-olds in our house. What is the wise thing for a parent to do when a two-year-old is out of control? Isn't it to bring the right dose of parental control? Yeah. And I remember growing up, and some of you remember this much better than I do, during the Cold War. That was an extreme of this principle of control. The Soviet Union and the United States going head-to-head, building arms and devices in a battle of superiority, control, and it very nearly cost the planet. The only way to fight control is with more and greater control. That's the way that the kingdoms of the world operate. But God has emancipated us for a better kingdom. There will come the point in the life of a believer when the Holy Spirit will challenge our obstinance. There comes a point in the life of a believer when the Holy Spirit will directly confront us over our desire to have control. Have you, any of you experienced that? Yeah. It's a little uncomfortable. We find ourselves in this stare down with the Holy Spirit. And the question between us is, okay, who's in charge? Who's in control here? When the Spirit tells us one thing and we do something else, or we pretend we didn't hear Him clearly, or we ask for clarification, or we procrastinate, or we just simply belligerently won't do what He asks us to do, the Spirit is going to challenge us. He'll challenge our obstinance and this lingering addiction that we have to control, to writing our own story. And this beautiful second work of grace that we call sanctification is God's desire to purify our will, to break the addiction of control, and to bring my heart and my will and my spirit into alignment with his spirit and his kingdom. The kingdoms of the world, it's all about one control over another. Kingdom of heaven is God's in control and I submit. I'll do what I'm asked to do. That's the doing, the praxis of discipleship. And God calls us to a point of transformation. And I've seen in some people that it is immediate They will get up from an altar and all of a sudden their life is on a a completely different trajectory. But for most of us, it is a day-by-day, ongoing walk with the Lord. It is a continual uh, 
position of listening and anticipating what God would do through us if we were to listen and obey. It's that simple. And we don't do it perfectly. We would love to do it perfectly. We would love to honor God with every decision that we make. But sometimes we fail. And his grace will continue to carry us. And the Holy Spirit doesn't abandon us. No, he, he gently guides us back to the path that we should walk. Are we listening? God wants to lead. And he wants us to follow in loving obedience. I've often mentioned, you know how beautiful it is for a uh, you, you see a parent and a child. The parent asks the child to do something and the child immediately complies. It is such a loving thing and it kind of gives you these warm feelings of, oh yeah, in a perfect world, that's the way it would be. In a perfect world, that's the way it should be. And God is calling us to his kingdom, the perfect world, where that's the order of the day. We, when we are not that belligerent, little obstinate, little crazy two-year-old when mom says come here the child runs the other direction God has always had a plan for your life for my life even before you were conceived he knew you he shaped you God has given you talents and abilities and competencies in empathies and compassion and certain gifts to, to maximize who he created you to be. He has designed into you, he's designed into you the abilities not to be everything that you ever wanted to be, but everything that he ever wanted you to be. Everything that he would have you accomplish. But how many times, either as believers or disciples, do we find that we leave these gifts and abilities and competencies and empathies laying dormant, lifeless, just by not listening, obeying, following the leading of the Spirit? Let me ask you this question. Who do you think has a bigger dream for your life? Would it be you or would it be God? There are talents and abilities and there is a kingdom-sized impact lying latent in you and me. It's ours for the taking if we would trust and obey. Yet, oftentimes we find that we are stubbornly, stubbornly, clinging to the fantasy that my control is the best way forward. That me writing the story of my life is better than God writing the story of my life. That we can handle it. But of course we're in denial because of course we're addicts to control. The sanctifying of my will begins with an offering. 
It begins with my willing, confident, hopeful, complete, and permanent release of my own right to have my own way. I give it up. I stand knowing that if I give this up, I am not going to take it back. I, I stand willing, confident, hopeful, and trusting that if I lay everything on the line for Jesus, if I follow the lead of the Holy Spirit, I can't go back. And he has to lead me forward. I don't need to be right. I need to be obedient. I don't need to write my own story. I need his story to be lived out in my life because he has a role for you and you and you and you and you and me in his kingdom, in this Caldwell context. The sanctifying of my will begins with a competent free will denial of my own rights and my own control, period. It's a commitment to serve Jesus and not serve Jim. Jesus was talking about money with the disciples and with the people listening. But the same principle is in play here. I cannot simultaneously serve Christ and myself. It won't go. It just won't work. In Matthew... Jesus said, no man can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. We can convince ourselves, because we're addicts, that, well, we'll we'll make this work. We'll make it work, but it won't work. God has to lead us forward. And that means that the whole sanctification process isn't without discomfort. I mean, we're having to reverse an entire lifetime of doing and wanting and thinking we can have our own way. So it means some rethinking and re-understanding and reimagining life under, not just guided by, but under the authority of the Holy Spirit and His guidance. And I think this is, this is fascinating to me. The question that defines success or failure for a believer is, am I believing the right things about Christ? But for a disciple, the question that defines success or failure is now, am I living life in obedience to God's call and his leadership? For a believer, it's, am I believing the right thing? For a disciple, am I living the right way in a way that glorifies God, that maximizes what he wants to do in his kingdom through me? Am I looking to his guidance on a daily basis? Do I check with him first before I make a decision? A second question that comes in the mind of a disciple often is, Where does God want to take me from here?
nothing, nothing will, nothing will light up your world but that question. Where does God want to take me from here? If I'm obedient, where would God like to take me? Where would he like me to plug in? Where would he like to use me? Where would he like to see my life have impact? Where would he like me to build friendships and relationships that lead to a trusted conversation where I can explain who Jesus is and what he means to me and how he's their hope? C.S. Lewis has this fabulous uh, portion in Mere Christianity where he's talking about this whole idea of rethinking and reimagining and, and rewiring the way that a disciple lives. He says, imagine yourself as a living house. Doug Johnson, you are a living house. God comes in to rebuild the house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he is doing. He is getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew those jobs needed doing, and so you are not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage. But he is building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. You thought you were content being made into a decent little cottage. His intent is to make you into a palace. Not for our glory, for his. He intends to come and live in it himself. What's his second work of grace meant to accomplish? More than we will ever know. But primarily it's it's meant to draw us to that point where we make a decision, a fully rational, fully competent, faith-filled decision. To live your life by the direction of the Holy Spirit. Period. If you feel like your spiritual life has no traction, often this is the reason we're trying to serve two different kingdoms. It's not working. We're called to live in his kingdom. Proclaim his story, not our story. Not to always have the upper hand and have control in every situation, but to willingly give up control. Paul, in the book of Ephesians, writes these words of benediction in, at the end of chapter 3. We'll close with this. I pray that out of God's glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. He may give you power along with presence. 
so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God, that you will be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So much of Scripture is waiting for you to find it. I think what I mean by that is there are going to be some things where you, once you settle the control issue, once you proclaim Christ is king, Christ is Lord, Christ is creator, Christ is authority in my, my life. He has so much to say to you. So much encouragement to give. We can read scripture and we can believe scripture. But under the authority of the Holy Spirit, I'm telling you, it will come alive. It will direct your steps. You will hunger for it daily if you don't now. And Paul finishes with this. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. According to his power, his power that is at work within us. To him, to him, not us, to him be the glory. In the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Paul wrote this a long time ago. And he pronounces it over us this morning, over all generations. I used to hate sermons like this that talked about giving up control. Hated them. Hated them. I began to love them. Because it's my emancipation story. Even as a believer, I never recognized the kind of slavery that I lived in. Even while saying Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Savior, and I believe him. I'm telling you that through submission, I found freedom. It is the only way forward only way forward if you're serious about Jesus it's the only way let's pray father we thank you we thank you for a second work of grace we thank you father that your grace doesn't just draw us to a point of belief but it continues to work in our lives it continues to draw us toward you we thank you that your holy spirit is faithful He will not let us turn away from this question. And he will not let us have our own way and call ourselves a disciple. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters here this morning and the ones that are absent today. Father, this is vital to their growth. This is vital to their health. 
This is vital to their spirit. This is vital to the life of our church. We want to know you. We want to know the fullness of you. Father, as a pastor, I want to see the potential lying within each person maximized for your kingdom where we labor together. Father, following you, listening to your spirit, examining the scriptures, they have this way of breaking down our bigotries, our hates, our natural tendency to divide people into segments of society or races. Father, may your spirit be at work. May he be convicting. May he never let us go, never let us go until we come to that point of full surrender to you. God, we thank you for this beautiful morning. We thank you, Father, that you instituted the church. Father, help us to do better at being church. Help us to be better at being witnesses to what Christ can do. We ask for your favor here this morning, Father, and we know that we have it. As we come to this table, it's just another example of, of how much you love us, how much you want to draw us closer, and the cost and the sacrifice that it took to make it so. So, Father, as we take the bread and drink from the cup, May we again um, celebrate and treasure the moment. May we realize what it cost. And may we leave this morning, Father, refreshed and renewed. We thank you for all these good gifts, Father. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.